0: Welcome, everybody, to week two of prayer. This 21-day journey we're taking together as a church family to help all of us take a next step in developing a a more long-term lifestyle of prayer. So since we're a week into this, just a quick little check. How many of you would say that you prayed a little bit more this past week than you have typically in other weeks. Can I just see some of you praying a little bit more? Great, because that's what this is all about. To help us see that prayer is not just something we do before meals or at bedtime or when we're in a church service. It's not just something we do in the midst of a crisis, that prayer is meant to be an integral part of every part. Of our lives. And so to kind of help us uh, take those next steps, we've been walking kind of line by line through the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. Sometimes it's called the Disciples Prayer. Sometimes people call it the Our Father. It's the prayer, the model that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray. In fact, we see that encounter in Luke's gospel, Luke 11, verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's kind of what we're asking, that God would teach us not just about prayer, but literally would teach us how to pray pray. And of course, Jesus' response to that request was to give them the the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, this model prayer. It's interesting to me. Think about this. I shared this last week. Of all the things the disciples saw Jesus do, turn water into wine, heal the sick, right, walk on water, the only thing they specifically asked Jesus to teach them to do was to pray like he prayed. That's fascinating to me. That tells me they saw something about prayer, or at least Jesus' prayer, that they wanted for their lives. Now, by the way, you might have got a little confused this week if you were part of a home group having a conversation. This model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, shows up in Luke 11, where we're looking, That's how Jesus taught them how to pray. But it actually also shows up in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. And in part of that sermon, he teaches about prayer, tells them a lot about prayer, but then he teaches them to pray with this same Lord's Prayer. But look, whether you read it in Luke's gospel or whether you read it in Matthew's gospel, what we understand is this incredible prayer provides practical help for all of us in taking a next step in our prayer life. Now, last week, you remember if you were here, we unpacked the first two lines of the Lord's prayer. And we discovered in doing that, first of all, that prayer at its heart is about an intimate connection with God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, say this, our Father in heaven, right? Jesus wants us to understand that when we pray, we're not, you know, talking to some distant cosmic force out there. When we pray, we're not begging for scraps from some unpleasable tyrant Father in heaven. We are speaking to our Abba, our Daddy, our Papa, our Father in heaven heaven. It's an intimate connection. The second thing we learn from the Lord's prayer is that prayer is an expression of surrender. Surrendering our will to God's will. Remember Jesus said when you pray, say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of us, if we're honest, spend a lot of time in prayer trying to bend God's will to our will. Like God, do this, fix this, make this happen, fix this person, change this relationship. But Jesus said, no, prayer is not your opportunity to put the quarter in the God vending machine to get the candy bar you want. He's saying prayer is about aligning your heart and your will with God's will. And can I just tell you from my life's journey, God's will is almost always harder to do But it is always better in the long term than my will, my desires. And what I love about Jesus is he practices what he teaches. Because Jesus didn't just say to the disciples, hey, pray and bend your will to God's will. Surrender your will to God's will. He actually prayed that way for his own life. Right? You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally hours before being arrested, facing the brutal beatings, the passion... They're being nailed to a cross. they having to take on all the sins of the world. And so Jesus alone in the garden, you remember what he prays? God, is there another way? Take this cup from me. I don't want to bend my will to your will. But then you remember how he closed that prayer? Nevertheless, God, not my will, but thine. See, prayer is about surrendering to God in our Life. Now today, as we're moving on, I want us to look at what is one of the shortest and somehow at the same time the most powerful statements of the entire Lord's Prayer. It's found in these very familiar words of Luke eleven three. Look at what it says. Give us each day our daily bread. You've said that, right? You've prayed that part of the prayer. Can I ask you, what does that mean? What are you saying when you say, God, give us each day our daily bread? Have you ever thought about what you're saying? I think most of us would say, "Well, well, we're asking God to meet our basic physical needs, right? For God to give us what we need just to be able to get through, to survive, to live another day. And certainly that's a part of what we're asking God for. But as you're going to see today, there's a lot more to that little statement than just getting what we need to live another day. See, at its heart, this is a prayer of dependence. When we pray this, we are recognizing God as the source of everything we need, and it is an expression of our trust that God is willing and able to meet our needs. It's not surprising that Jesus would use the image of bread to talk about needs that we have. I don't know if you know this or not, but bread is a staple food source in every culture around the world. Throughout all history, all cultures have some form of bread in their diet. This simple combination of, of flour ground out of grain, some water, maybe a little bit of oil, and heat. Every culture has bread. Now there's a lot of different kinds of bread. You've been around the world, or you know, now the world's come to us and you can eat at all kinds of restaurants and see. There's a lot of different bread, but every culture has bread. It is a basic staple of life. Now, I remember like nowadays, we got a lot of bread. But when I was a kid, there were basically two choices in the grocery store for bread, white or wheat, right? Some of y'all are old enough to remember. You go in the bread aisle today, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. You got all these different breads. But I remember when it was just basic, white bread, wheat bread. Oh, actually, there was a third kind of bread when I was a kid, wonder bread. Anybody remember wonder bread? Yeah, Do you know why it was called Wonder Bread? Because you could take a slice of Wonder Bread, squeeze it, pack it down, and you could make it the size of a cube, smaller than a grape. You could eat the whole slice in one swallow, right? It was so cool. I don't know what it was. I don't even know what it was made out of. I do know this. If you were like me and you were too poor, your parents couldn't afford silly putty, you could take the crust off of a whole bunch of slices of Wonder Bread and you could have your own silly putty and you can mash it down on the comics in the newspaper, and it would transfer it just like silly pie. That's cool stuff. Probably wasn't good for us to eat it, but anyway, yeah, bread is everywhere. It's a, it's a basic staple, but here's the thing. We also see throughout the Bible that bread is often used to represent several other basic needs. So when you pray, give us each day our daily bread, you're not just asking God for enough food to survive, You're, you're expressing your dependence on God for four basic needs. I want you to write these down, four things I can trust God to provide daily for me. Here we go, number one, I can trust God to provide my physical needs. I can trust God to provide for my physical needs, not just the food that I eat, but the air that I breathe, the water that I drink, the sunshine, everything that allows me to have life, God provides daily. Psalm 104, one of my favorite psalms. If you've never read Psalm 104, this is an incredible chapter. And I would encourage you to go read it this week. But basically what David does in Psalm 104 is he talks about all the creatures, all the things that God has created, that God gave life to. But then he says, not only did you give them life, but you gave them everything around them they needed for life. You put them in the right environment, make sure they had the right food sources. But then look at what he says in verse 28. He says, when you, when talking about God, when you, God, supply it, they gather it. And then check this out. You open your hand to feed them, and they are what? What does it say? Richly sound. your your heavenly Father is not stingy. He's not giving you just a little cube of wonder bread, enough to survive another day. He gives us everything we need for life. But don't miss this. Did you notice at the beginning of that verse, it said, God provides it, but they gather it. You see what that's saying? There's a responsibility. When you pray, give us each day our daily bread, you're not just saying, God, I'm kicked back here in the recliner with my mouth open like a baby bird. Just feed me, pay my bills, take care of everything. No, there is a responsibility we have to do what we need to do to be able to receive the basic physical needs that God gives us. We, we see that with the nation of Israel when they've left Egypt trying to get the promised land wander around the desert for 40 years there's no food growing in the desert so what does God do? He causes this strange white substance that falls down from heaven and every morning it's on the ground it's manna, this manna from heaven that they can eat by the way, just a quick Bible trivia do you know what the word manna is? Manna is a Hebrew word. Do you know what it literally means? What is this? Because that's what they said when they came out and they saw that. What is it? It's food that God has provided. God provided it, but they had to get up and go out and gather it. I can trust God to meet my physical needs. Secondly, I can trust God to meet my spiritual needs as well. See, bread is also used as a metaphor for God's Word, for the Bible. Remember Jesus, the beginning of his earthly ministry, 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting, 40 days, nothing to eat. And so at the end of that, he's starving to death, and Satan shows up and says, that's no big deal. Just turn that stone into a loaf of bread. Just use your God-given power for your own selfish." Desires. And do you remember Jesus' response? It's Matthew 4 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the Bible is not just given to us as information to be studied, to understand about God, it's the unchanging truth of God that we are to feed daily on and build our lives lives on. And in the same way that many of us feed on the junk food for our bodies, many of us are feeding on a lot of junk food in our lives, and we're empty and broken. I'm convinced that so much of the stress and anxiety that we deal with is not because we don't have our needs met. It's because we're feeding so much more on the stuff of this world and not on the truth of God's Word. And that's leaving so many of us empty and broken and wondering, is this all there is to life? We can trust God for our physical needs. We can trust God for our daily spiritual needs. And thirdly, I can also trust God for my relational needs. You know, it's so interesting to me how often in the Bible bread is associated with people gathering together, connecting with one another, being in relationship. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, one of the offerings they were required to bring was something called a fellowship offering. They had to bring it to the temple regularly. Fellowship is just a fancy word for authentic connection, being a part of a family being a part, connected relationally to others. Guess what that offering was? A basket of bread. You bought a basket of bread to say, thank you, God, that I'm part of a family. And then you fast forward to the New Testament church, the very early church, and look at what it says about them, Acts 2.46. It says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. God meets your relational needs. I heard on the radio this past week that isolation and loneliness, feelings of being isolated and alone, those feelings are higher today in American culture than at any time in our nation's history. And that's crazy. Think about it. Think how easy it is to connect and keep up and FaceTime and exchange information. And yet we've never been more connected and yet we've never felt more lonely and more isolated. I don't think that's by accident. Isn't it interesting that in a time in our nation's history we have, when we have highest levels ever of isolation and loneliness, at the same time, we have the lowest levels of church connection in any time in our nation's history. Less of us as Americans are connected and a part of a church family or a church body. I'm pretty sure two plus two equals four because God has provided a family, a place to belong, to be connected, to not live isolated. And yet we're like, oh, I don't don't have time for that. I, you know, no wonder we're so lonely and struggling and stressed out. God has provided for our basic relational needs, but we got to show up and gather it. we got to do our part. And number four, maybe most importantly, I can trust God to provide for my greatest need. My greatest need. Do you know what your greatest need is? the need for salvation. Your greatest need is to be rescued from sin and death. Your greatest need is to be saved from something you cannot save yourself from. And Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection provided for that need. And Jesus used bread as a symbol for our salvation. Remember the Last Supper, Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19. And he, talking about Jesus, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Bread is a symbol of our salvation through Jesus. So, so when you pray, give us each day our daily bread, you're not just expressing your dependence on God for your physical needs, You're saying, God, I'm depending on you for my spiritual needs, my relational needs, and my greatest need, salvation. That's the what of this prayer of dependence. That's what you're saying. The bigger question is, how do I live like I'm depending on God for my daily bread? That's what I want to get to the heart at with today. What does this look like to live a daily bread life. And there's a great passage to help us do that. It's from the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn or click there. We're going to be looking at these incredible practical steps to trusting God daily, to put this prayer of dependence into practice after we leave here today. Now, before we jump in, let me just tell you, this advice comes from a guy by the name of Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. And he was not one of the original 12. He was not there when Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. But he learned how to pray from those disciples. And what makes Paul so unique is perhaps more than any other person in human history, Paul literally had to live daily depending on God. From the moment Paul decided to follow Jesus, he lost everything that he had in this world. He lost his wealth. He lost his influence in the community, his status. I'm pretty sure he lost family members and support from his extended family. In other words, every day Paul woke up and not only had to say, give me today my daily bread, he had to depend on God because there was nothing else In his life. So what I'm telling you is these words we're looking at today, they're not from some ivory tower academic telling us what they've learned by studying and reading books. And this is not from some self-righteous preacher telling us how we ought to live when they're not willing to live this way. This is words from a guy who lived daily bread. And the first thing he says I have to do to trust God daily is I got to start with gratitude. Write that down. Start with gratitude. Listen, the best way to express your dependence on God for the future is to be grateful for what God has provided for you already in your life. That's why Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Joy and gratitude are two sides of the same coin. Joy and gratitude are linked together. That's why study after study has shown that grateful people have a lower level of stress and anxiety than those of us who are not grateful. And I believe the reason that's true is that the more grateful we are for what we have, what God has provided for us in the past, the more we are willing to trust God to continue to do that in the future. Paul says in the second part of verse 6, he says, by prayer and petition. Petition is your list of things you're asking God for, your laundry list when you pray. That's what a petition is. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer's not just going to God with your laundry list of needs. It's about expressing your gratitude for the needs he's already met. So let's just do that. Right now, what's one thing you can be thankful for in your life. Now, I know you're like me. you got a list of things you're not happy about, things you wish God would fix, but I'm asking about that one thing right now. You can say, I'm thankful for that. God has met that need. Living depending on God starts with gratitude, but it moves forward. The second thing we've got to do is pray more, worry less. Pray more worry less. I I wrote that phrase that way because I wanted it to have a double meaning. Yes, it means we are to pray instead of worry, but I also want me me and you to understand the more you pray, the less you will worry. And that's good news because worry is not good, not helpful. In fact, it is destructive. Worry is stewing without doing. Worry is like a rocking chair. You can put all the energy, it's a whole lot of energy in motion, but no forward movement. You can rock all day. You can rock till your hands bleed and sweat pours off, but you're still gonna be sitting right where you were when you started. That's the problem with worry. It's a horrible investment. It costs you a lot and it pays you back With nothing. That's why Paul says in the first part of verse 6, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Now, just FYI, when Paul says this, when he wrote this, this is not just good advice. This is a command from God. And the reason I know that is the Greek verb that Paul used for don't worry, it is in the imperative form. This is a thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Do not worry. It's a command of God. And can I just be transparent with you? Hands down, the hardest command for me to obey. In the entire Bible, I'm convinced, this is the hardest command. Don't worry. I worry six, eight times a day. There are some commands in the Bible, easy for me to obey. Thou shalt not murder. Not a struggle. <laughs> right? I hope it's not a struggle for you. If it is, security, no, right? We don't struggle with that. But worry, we all struggle with it. But what I want you to understand, worry's not just a bad habit. It's a sin. Why? Why is worry such a big deal? Because it is an insult to God. When you worry, you are insulting God. Worry is a practical expression of atheism. Because when you worry, you're worried, you said, I don't believe there's a God, or if it is, I don't believe his promises. I don't believe he can take care of me. I feel like I'm on my own, and I have to fix it for myself. Look, it's not just Paul saying, don't worry. Jesus said it, Matthew 6, 34. Jesus said, therefore, do not, thou shalt not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. What I love about the Bible is it doesn't just tell us what not to do, it tells us what we can do in place of what we should not do. It's not just don't worry, it's replace that worry with prayer. I'm telling you, the hardest thing to do is to not do Something someone told you not to do. I'll test it with you. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do not think about donuts. Don't think about donuts. What are you thinking about? Donuts, right? But let me try this. Don't think about donuts. Think about cars. See how easy that is? That's why God tells us, don't worry, pray. So can I ask you a question? If you prayed every time you found yourself worrying, would it increase your prayer life? Would you pray a little more frequently? Sure. And look, not only are you obeying God's command when you do that, but I want you to look at what it causes, the benefit, the blessing. Verse 7, when you pray instead of worrying, notice what it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number three, the third thing we can depend daily on from God, the thing we have to do is to think about the right things. We have to think about the right things. Again, it's not just removing the bad thoughts. It's about focusing on the good stuff. Verse 8. Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Where do you find that stuff? Where do you find things that are good and admirable and lovely and worthy of praise? Netflix? Probably not. TikTok? Facebook? No, you find it in God's Word. Look, too many of us are asking God to give us today our daily bread and then turn around and feeding out of the garbage. And we're wondering why we're so anxious and stressed out. That's why we're doing these weekly prayer guides through the app. That's why we're begging you to get in a home group. That's why I'm telling you, if you don't have a Bible, download the Bible app. Put God's word, feed on God's word every day day memorize scripture that's what it means to live daily bread and then finally number 4 the fourth thing we have to do to live daily trusting in God is share with others share with others you want to know if you're depending on God daily you know the easiest way to test your level of dependence on daily bread from God is the level of your generosity. It's the level of your generosity. If you're depending on God for your daily bread, then you're more willing to share that daily bread with others. Paul puts it this way in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In other words, Paul's saying, I want to pass on to you what God has done for me. I want to bless you with what God has blessed me with. Everything God gives you, he gives it to you to share it with others. That's why Jesus didn't say, pray, give me this day my daily bread. He said, give us our daily bread. Generosity is one of the greatest expressions of depending on God for your daily bread. When you do that, you're recognizing that everything that God gives to you, he wants to use it to do stuff through you. The greatest barrier to generosity is not selfishness. It's not. It's not that we're a bunch of self-centered people. The biggest barrier to generosity is our scarcity mindset. Do you know what that is? A scarcity mindset, there's not going to be enough. If I share this, there's not going to be enough. I'm not going to have enough. I better save up a lot. I'm not, I don't going to have enough, right? Isn't that so interesting? We talked about manna that God provided in the wilderness. There was, they could eat all they could gather, but you know what they couldn't do? Hoard it up. They tried to do that. They were like, well, it might not come tomorrow. God might not be faithful tomorrow. So they stored it up, and guess what? They woke up next morning, and it was rotted, covered with mold. Why? Because God's stingy? No, he wants us to trust him for our daily bread. In fact, I believe that this is the number one area where God tests the level of our dependence on him, and that is what we do with the finances he's blessed us with. Isn't it interesting that back in my day, bread wasn't an uh, analogy for money. Y'all remember that? Making the bread, give me some dough, right? Young people are like, what is he talking about? You old people know what I'm talking about, right? Isn't that interesting? If we trust God with our daily bread, we're going to be more generous with that daily bread. That's why we talk about giving regularly here at Cedar Creek. It's not to to try to manipulate you and separate you from your money so we can pay the bills or pay the staff more money. No, it's an expression of trust. It's a form of worship. And so I want to encourage you this week as you're thinking about give us this day our daily bread, what would taking a next step in financial generosity look like for you? Maybe for some of you, you've never given. Maybe just give one time. See what happens. By the way, this is the only area in your life where God says, test me. Test me, be generous, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. I'll give you back way more than you ever gave. Or maybe you give at Cedar Creek. You give every now and then, but you don't give consistently. Maybe a next step for you would be to start to give consistently like when you get paid weekly or monthly or about however you get paid. Test God, see how dependable he is. Or maybe you give regularly but you don't really give proportionately. Like you kinda give based on after you paid all the bills and we didn't have any medical emergencies, this is what we're gonna give with the leftovers. That's not really trusting God, is it? So maybe look at what you're giving as a percentage of your overall income and then say, okay God, I'm going to trust you for 1% more, 2% more, whatever it is. I'm just saying, depend on God. Live daily bread by being more generous. But look, it's not just about regular giving uh, through the church that you're a part of. Generosity is also about being good stewards of everything that God has given us. Our time, our talent, our resources, if you own a house, if you own property, all of those things are are given to you by God. And can I just tell you, whatever you've got, unless you perfectly time it out so that you slide into home base, that the day you die, you're flat broke and have spent and used everything, unless you're able to do that, when you die, something's gonna be left here. You're gonna have some kind of legacy. I don't know what it's gonna be, but you're gonna have something left. Don't you wanna be a good steward of that? Wouldn't you like to see that invested in something other than your children and grandchildren using it for their own desires and destroying their life? You can do that. That's why I'm so excited about this financial planning ministry seminar and webinar coming up in February. This is a great chance for you to leave a legacy with whatever you have. Parents, you got young children? Let me ask you something. Do you have a will? If you have a will, is it up to date? Does it express your wishes? Your children are a gift from God. If you don't have that, this seminar is not going to just teach you about wills. It's going to connect you with an attorney. You're going to be able to set up a will or redo your will completely free. No cost to you. How about a trust? Have you set up a trust? You're like, well, that's for just rich people. No, that's for anybody, right? And you're going to be able to set up a trust. No cost to you. This is thousands of dollars worth of practical help in managing and leaving a legacy to honor God. So I encourage, sign up for it. Be a part of it. It's a great opportunity. Look, as you can see, and I'm out of time, I'm over time. Hang with me. Look, you can see clearly. There's a whole lot more to this phrase, give us each day our daily bread, than what most of us ever thought about, isn't it? So as I've told you, every week we're going to pray, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together, but we're not just going to say the whole thing, you know, vomit it out from memory. We're going to spend some time praying through the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to start with these first two lines that we looked at last week. So pray this with me, everybody together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now just pause right there. Close your eyes, just think about what you just prayed. Think about who you're talking to. Your Abba, your Poppy, your heavenly Father. He's right there, he's not mad. He wants you to climb up in his lap. And then as you think about who you're talking to, I want you to ask him to show you what in your life do you need to surrender? What do you need to lay down? What do you need to depend on him for? What would it look like for your heart to line up more with his heart? Just talk to your Father. together this line we talked about today. You ready? Give us today our daily bread. Now just think about that. Think about what we've talked about today. Just right there in your seat. Close your eyes, bow your head so there's no distraction. What do you need to thank Him for? What do you need to trust Him more?